Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. But we are pleased to be joined by my favorite space and science writer, Robert Zimmerman. I've been visiting with Bob on the radio. Uh, a lot of late nights uh, filling in here on News Talk, E3OWCCO, and Bob was good enough to join us on short notice. And uh, Bob, it's been a while. I hope you're doing well. Oh, I'm doing very good, uh, Steve. Glad to be here. If this is a normally tech talk, I guess the audience will find what I have to say interesting for sure. Yeah, I'd love to talk about space, space exploration. You've written many wonderful books, and you have a website, BehindTheBlack.com, that is uh, dedicated to a lot of cool stuff. And I want to bring something up out of the gate before we get into some of the usual topics. What, what's China up to? Uh, what is SpaceX up to? But you had a great photo uh, about an avalanche uh, caught <laughs> on the surface of Mars. This is amazing. Uh, it's funny that you note that, uh, Steve. This was posted yesterday. I do regular images from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter archives, which is posted like a month after they take the pictures. So it's very up-to-date. It's not really old. Um, and when I first started to do this about oh, seven years ago, um, I posted a lot of landslide pictures then because it was like, wow, that's cool. But as the years have passed, I've kind of like gotten blasé about the landslide pictures and have started posting other stuff. But I saw this and I said I should put this up. These are not landslides that are it actually happened recently. This is uh, a landslide that happened sometime in the far past. We don't know how far ago, long ago it was. It is interesting that on Mars they have actually taken a lot of pictures of landslides in process actually happening uh, on the edge of the uh, South Pole uh, escarpment, oh, no, I'm sorry, the North Pole escarpment, uh, the actual ice cap, the edge, there's a giant cliff uh, in many parts. And they discovered a few years ago with Mosrakanazava that there are so many landslides that occur in the spring that it wasn't hard to actually capture some, in fact, a lot. Uh, in fact, it was very difficult not to take pictures of that escarpment on the edge of the uh, ice cap and not get a landslide. Interestingly enough, later years, later springs, they weren't as many. They don't know why the numbers changed from year to year. This particular landslide, though, occurred on the inner slope of a 25-mile-wide crater on Mars in the dry equatorial regions, not near the poles, not in a very dry area. There's no water here, no near-surface ice. 
and it's what they call a mass wasting event because it doesn't fall. It's not a, like an avalanche where the rocks start to fall and it builds and it builds and you get a big pile of debris at the bottom that gathered along the way. This is a case where a giant chunk broke off and slid down the mountain as a piece. And so that's what you got here. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it really a wonderful photo. And you, you publish a lot of those uh, on your site and, and dig deep and uh, help us understand what we're looking at. And that is much appreciated. One thing I, I've noticed, and I definitely want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about it, but it seems as though in recent weeks and months, we're, we're getting this sense that uh, there is a new space race. And the folks at NASA are embracing this because typically it means funding. This this is what, what drove this rivalry between the Soviet Union and the United States in the 60s to, to do great things and ultimately land men on the moon. In 1969, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin were the first. And it seems as though we're seeing more and more talk about there, there's this great race between uh, the United States and NASA and, and private enterprise like SpaceX and the Chinese. Do, do you see that as well? Yeah, not in the same way. Uh, not in the same way at all. Uh, Unlike the 60s, what you now have, especially in the United States, and other nations are picking, and Europe is picking this up now, uh, you have a very robust independent uh, space industry that's competing for business in space. Um, And because of that, there is competition not just between nations, but competition between private entities. And so, yes, China is trying to compete with the West and establish its own space program. That's an important word, because the Chinese are top-down. Everything is under the, it's a Soviet-style program. Everything is yep. dictated by their government. And so, yes, they, they've instituted a, a pseudo-competitive thing. We're creating pseudo-companies with investment capital that create things competitive with each other to win government contracts. But the problem is, those government contracts are known in advance, and everything is dictated by the government, so it's not really independent private companies. So it's really a program, and they're competing with the independent, uh, competitive Western capitalist model that is now beginning to finally dominate the West in space. We've been copying for a half a century the Soviet model, which was insane, didn't get us anything, a top-down program doesn't accomplish much. We're now uh, breaking free of that to a great extent. NASA has a program, its Artemis program, but it's not building very much in that program. Instead of, uh, instead, it is hiring private companies to build things, which the private companies then own and then sell to others uh, to make money. And a good example of that, the best example of that, is SpaceX. They purchased. Um, they were given a contract by NASA to provide human ferrying and cargo services to ISS, bring people up and down, bring cargo up and down. And with the people contract, especially, it was two different contracts, with the human contract, SpaceX was contracted to build three capsules uh, sufficient enough to bring enough ISS astronauts back and forth. They built four. And what they use, they use the extra capsule, they use all four with NASA, but they use that extra capsule, that extra capacity, passenger capacity, to make money. They sell tickets to Axiom, another private company that just finished a, a private passenger flight to ISS. They launched their own missions, orbital missions, um, so far mostly paid by, by one specific billionaire, Jared Isaacman, um, but 
It's private missions. And so they're making money on what they've built. So NASA might get its program going, but uh, what's really happening is the United States is getting a private, robust uh, industry. And so, yes, there is competition between the nations, but there's also competition in private enterprise. And not surprisingly, private enterprise is um, wiping the floor against governments, uh, really, even though China is doing very well. Um, uh, it should be noted that SpaceX, with its four man capsules, has now launched more human beings into space than the entire 60s space program did. <laughs> A private company. Uh, that's, that's an interesting little tidbit people should be aware of. And wow. we've only just begun. They've only just started to do this. It's not like the space program in the 60s, where once they accomplished their goal, they shut it all down. SpaceX will continue to make money from this, so there's no reason for them to stop. It's an uh, unending, uh, down-the-road thing, as long as they can make money. And so that's where I see really the real competition being. And yes, having uh, nations competing helps um, energize the competition, because all competition is good. But it's not just China here, it's also private enterprise. I keep a regular count of how many launches go on. Every time there's a launch, I post this. And I keep the track of the leaders in the launch race. And what's interesting right now is that American private enterprise, all by itself, is matching the world, uh, beating the world significantly. And SpaceX by itself is almost matching the entire, is beating the entire world all by itself. And so this is, this is where the real competition is, Steve. The last thing I want us to do is fall into the trap uh, because we've got to compete with the Chinese, we've got to let the government take over and run our government program. It's the last thing we should do. It's a trap. It'll destroy our this now robust, growing industry. We should just let the industry do its thing, even if it's not the same thing the Chinese are doing. Who cares? They'll be doing some pretty spectacular things on their own. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, in, in the very near future, humans will return uh, to the moon and then uh, someday, ultimately, uh, to to Mars, that that's certainly the goal of Elon Musk and SpaceX. He he made that crystal clear very on that this is building to that. Yes, uh, you know you talk about going to the moon. Let's talk about this because I posted something on my website just yesterday that is not made the news, but is actually a major news story. Um, there is a uh, and it has to do with lunar bases at the South Pole of the Moon. The yes. reason everyone's aiming for the South Pole of the Moon is because the permanently shattered craters there are thought to carry possibly ice. And the reason they think that is because they're permanently shadowed, which means they're extremely cold, and they detect a, a signature of hydrogen in these, uh, in these locations. And hydrogen has to be locked in a molecule or it would uh, disappear, it would sub- sublimate away. And uh, the scientists have assumed that molecule has got to be water, and so therefore there's got to be ice at the base of these um, uh, craters. And everyone's thinking, build a lunar base there, you'd have relatively available water, very valuable resource. There is a camera on uh, South Korea's Denari Lunar Orbiter that's in orbiter right now that was built by the Arizona State University called ShadowCam. It's designed to look at very dark places using ambient bounced light, the shadow light that comes off of other rocks. Very low light camera, able to look at very dark places. And they've been taking pictures of the floors of these permanently shadowed craters at the South Pole. They took a picture of Shackleton, another one was of Marvin, and this yesterday they released a picture from uh, Spudis Crater. And Spudis and Shackleton are only 10 miles apart, and the ridge in between is the, one of the prime landing spots for Artemis. And every one of these pictures of Shadowcam has not shown at the floor of these craters any obvious ice, none at all. 
doesn't mean there isn't water there impregnated in the regolith in the soil. But it, what these pictures tell us at a minimum is that getting any ice or water from the South Pole, uh, it looks like it's not going to be a simple process as hoped for. And that is a, a very significant discovery that they have found that hasn't leaked out to the regular press. This is a breaking story that uh, the general press hasn't picked up yet on. The scientists themselves haven't published on this particular thing yet because I'm sure they're analyzing their data. Um, but the, the preliminary data from these pictures says that these craters do not have obvious uh, ice on their surface. Wow. That is interesting because the plans are to go there that that artemis once they land humans if they land uh, human beings back on mars that that, that's the target yeah on 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 the moon that 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 would be a target right there the the whole everybody is pointing at lunar bases because they look at the moon and they say if there's ice at the base of these craters not only will you have um, uh, water to drink but ice provides you, uh, you, you break it up into hydrogen and oxygen, and you suddenly have fuel, powerful fuel and oxygen. You know, they could just, there's a lot of resource here. And they thought they were hoping that this ice would be relatively available. And it doesn't, it, it's not certain yet, nothing is confirmed, but the data as presently indicates that it's not going to get easy to get ice off the, at the south pole of the moon. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the next year or so, because... Uh, uh, there's a lot of money already been committed to these lunar programs based on the premise that there's ice there. And because there's a lot of money committed, a lot of people are going to want to make believe these results don't exist. And we're going to have to see how that plays out, Steve, very much Worth so. watching. Robert Zimmerman, my favorite space and science writer, joining us on this Saturday. Quick break. We'll come back with more. Bob joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Here on News Talk, E3-O-W-C-C-O. Doug Swinhart not available today, and we're pleased to be joined, though, by Robert Zimmerman, my favorite space and science writer. We're talking the latest news uh, from space. Let's get back to crewed missions. Uh, SpaceX uh, has been able to successfully send astronauts up and down to the International Space Station. They've even done some missions that, that don't involve ISS. And the the other company that was contracted to do this work, Boeing, they are having a bit of trouble. It looks like Starliner may be delayed again. Uh, there's no maybe about it. It's delayed again. Uh, this There's a lot of Boeing people in the Minnesota area, so those people must forgive me when I say this. Boeing has revealed itself to be an incredibly incompetent company in this whole story. Um, and the most recent uh, news is, is, is unconscionable. It appears two very newly discovered issues on the Starliner capsule uh, forced NASA and Boeing to cancel their planned June launch of this capsule. It would have been the first manned mission of Starliner, years behind schedule. They were required to do two different unmanned demo flights because the first got aborted prematurely and there were numerous problems. The second flight was uh, unmanned flight was delayed more than a year because of numerous valve problems that should have been caught in design. Um, Well, here we are, less than a month from launch. And NASA and Boeing revealed two newly discovered problems that are essentially design problems, the things you deal with at the very beginning of construction. First, they discovered that the, the, 
the, the links that connect the parachute cords to the capsule are too weak. And the reason they're too weak is because when they were doing testing, they recorded the data incorrectly to make it seem like they were stronger than they were. And NASA and Boeing only now just discovered this, which means they might have to redesign those connection points and probably do parachute tests. That's why it's no maybe about the delay. Second thing, and this is even more unconscionable, they use a tape throughout the system, throughout the, throughout the capsule, to, pr- to, uh, the, to protect the wiring harnesses from nicks and abrasions. They, cut, you know, they wrap the wiring with a tape. Well, for some reason, they used a tape that apparently can burn under uh, space conditions. In other words, flammable. In other words, you could have another Apollo 1 accident with this tape. And they used this tape from the day one. It's incredible to me that a, a space company building a space capsule a half a century after, after Apollo 1 would be using a tape that is possibly uh, can burn, especially since they've been using these kind of tapes in capsules and spacecrafts now for literally a half a century, and they have plenty on the market that they can just buy specialty tapes, but they can just buy they won't have this problem. How Boeing didn't do this is unbelievable. So either way, this capsule is not flying. Boeing, it's cost them a fortune um, because it's a fixed-price contract. They don't get extra money from NASA until they fly, and they don't get extra money if they have problems. they got to eat the cost. For example, it cost Boeing almost a half a billion dollars of extra money out of their own, its own pocket to fly that second demo mission. And every delay, he costs them additional money, investigations and redesigns. And in the meantime, because they're not flying, guess who's getting the launch contracts to bring people up and down to ISS? SpaceX is getting that money. And so they're not only having to spend extra money, they're not making any money, and they're losing money that will never be recovered because SpaceX got the deal. Boeing, at this moment in time, I doubt I even want to get on a Boeing airplane. Uh, That a company could do this and make these kind of mistakes, it's, it's horrifying to me, Steve. Yeah, and Bob, what's interesting is Boeing and other large aerospace contractors, particularly in in dealing with NASA, typically it's kind of an open checkbook. Well, we're having trouble. We need more money. That's why the Artemis program and the SLS is so far behind, so bloated, well over budget, years behind schedule is because they had kind of these contracts where there, there was no no penalty no no issue with falling behind that you would just get more money yeah and it's interesting that that the the, uh, the the cost plus contracts that they have and sls boeing has an sls is not the case of starliner but it appears the management at boeing from day one refused to recognize that reality and so they treated starliner like it was cost plus with the assumption that when problems occurred, NASA would just fork up more money. And the irony is there was actually uh, an Inspector General report back in 19 that blasted NASA for giving Boeing a bonus payment of almost $300 million in the Starliner program because Boeing said, if you don't give it to us, we're going to have a significant delay. Um, and uh, the, uh, the the IG blasted NASA because said this is a co- this is not a cost plus contract. You should not be doing this. 
And uh, Boeing, Boeing has always assumed it could, it could squeeze that money out, use political pressure. And they really haven't been able to. They've only gotten that one payment, and it, 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 it was blasted. It knows it's not going to happen again. And I think we're in the, they're in the same boat now. Now, what's going to happen next, I don't know, because at some point, either they're going to have to fly it, Will they ever make that money back? You know, once again, do, will people want to get on a uh, Starliner capsule for commercial space purposes? I have a feeling people are going to be very reluctant until this company does some things to prove that they fixed all their problems. Yeah, considering the reliability of the Falcon 9 Dragon capsule system that's been demonstrated yeah. over and over. Yeah. At this moment in time, SpaceX is on the verge. They haven't quite done it yet. They're only a few launches away. But sometime in the next two weeks, they're going to complete the 200th landing of a first stage. Remember, that's something that we were told for 50 years was impossible. You could just could not do it. It would never make you any money. And if, even so, you could never reuse it if you did land it. It was just impossible. They're about to complete the 200th such landing uh, uh, from reusable, reused first stages, uh, Steve. Before we run out of time, we have to get to the next big thing. And it's a really big thing, speaking of SpaceX. And we haven't had a chance to visit since they launched the, the combo of Starship and the Super Heavy Booster. And it, it, it was detonated at, what, about 24 miles after launch. But deemed they, they got a lot of data. They, they, they learned a lot. They learned a lot about the pad, what they need to change. This is typical of SpaceX, and uh, they are ready to go. We don't know when they will launch for the second time, trying to get to orbit, but uh, th- th- this really is incredible stuff, and you, you have a, a note about this at your website, Behind the Black. Uh, yes, they have said, SpaceX actually has made it pretty clear that based upon the present needs of what they have to do, they think they'll be ready to do a second test flight uh, with uh, prototypes, uh, Super Heavy Prototype Number 9 and Starship Prototype Number 25 uh, in early August. That's what they say. Now, of course, there could be delays on that from an engineering perspective, but if SpaceX saying early August, that means they could fly sometime within a, uh, a month of that flight time. That's not an based on the pattern. I predict that's not going to happen. I, right now, the, the FAA has still not released a launch license. The Biden administration has very clearly acted to try to hinder this program, private enterprise here. And I fully and totally expect that when August rolls around, a launch license will not have been issued. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think a launch license will be issued, and the FAA will continue to stonewall SpaceX. And I think we will not probably see a secondary launch of a super heavy Starship before the end of this year. I'm being very pessimistic here, but it's based, I'm also trying to be very realistic. Uh, if my pessimism puts pressure on NASA and I'm uh, not NASA on the FAA and the Biden administration to finally get their act together and issue a permit, then that's all to the good. But right now, I expect the federal government to act as a barrier to achievement here. Ultimately, though. As part of these plans, going back to the beginning of the program and the space race and having the upper hand, SpaceX could play a gigantic role in that. There could be political benefits to having SpaceX launch this thing, get into orbit, show the capability of being able to get Starship to the moon and beyond. 
that that would be a big deal for for whatever administration sits in the White House. That that politically, you know, you're thinking rationally, Steve. We should point out that the federal government has signed a contract with SpaceX to provide the human lander using Starship for its Artemis program. If Starship is delayed, then the the Artemis program is delayed, and so the left hand doesn't want to know what the right hand is doing. NASA is very much committed to SpaceX. But we have uh, political forces at work here that hate Elon Musk. There's a lot of emotion here, foolish emotion, and there's a lot of political emotion going on that I think is acting to hinder the program. I repeat, I hope I'm wrong, but my sense of the situation, and I have been unfortunately, unfortunately more often right than wrong on these matters, it looks to me like uh, the, the Biden administration is going to act to, to stymie this uh, in the, over the next few months. Uh, Bob, final thought to that first test launch. What were your thoughts on that? Because we haven't talked since that first test. Did a lot of damage to the pad, etc. But we we had talked in the lead up to this that this is what they do. They figure out what works, what doesn't, and and fix it and try again. But what were your impressions of that first test launch? It was actually an incredible achievement because. One must remember that Super Heavy had never launched before, and they had never even fired all of its engines at one time on a launch. This was incredibly uh, pushing the envelope. And the the thing worked as well as it did. And, in fact, when it started to tumble, it didn't break apart. It was structurally sound enough to hold together with Starship still attached. I think was just an incredible um, uh, testament to the engineering involved, and it just indicates that this thing is going to be very successful if it ever flies, uh, assuming the government gets out of the way. Um, I was very impressed. It was truly a magnificent moment. Uh, It's a demonstration, once again, that if you are not afraid of failure uh, and you take risks and you make things happen, even if they fail, you can then proceed to success very, very quickly. Yeah. It, it, it was uh, quite a sight, that's for sure. Bob, always good to visit with you. Thanks so much for joining us on short notice today. I, I always enjoy our, our time. Uh, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be here, Steve, anytime. There he is, Robert Zimmerman, my favorite space and science writer. His website, Behind the Black. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.